This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Always happy to be joined by our latest guest, as uh, local as they come. As I mentioned before, Montbello High School, University of Colorado, and uh, anchor at CBS News Colorado. Justin Adams joins us. Uh, Justin, thanks so much uh, for the time. Uh, first, first thought: uh, the Denver Nuggets are in the NBA Finals. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk to you. Uh, I know that. Uh, you know, we, we do this for a living. There's professional detachment, but like me, you grew up here. This is the team you've watched as you were a child. Uh, it, for a moment, it had to not seem real, right? Every team in Colorado, and I mean every team, if you would have told me they made it to the championship round, I would have said, okay, it's believable. Like, right, you know, Rockies in 07. Okay, that's believable, right? Broncos, the obvious. Avalanche, of course. The Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals? Like, even you saying it doesn't sound right. I remember growing up when the Nuggets in, 2000, in 1995, they were on NBA on NBC, the music and everything going off. And I remember them being profiled at McNichols Arena, and I thought they made it. I thought at that moment they finally made it. I don't know exactly how it will feel when it goes to next Thursday yeah. <laughs> and they talk about this team being in the NBA Finals. It's just a wonderful feeling that, to be very honest, I didn't think I'll ever see. I, I... – I do think it has been useful this week to go back and, and look at previous Nugget teams or even the Denver Rockets back in the ABA. Uh, the Nuggets, of course, uh, uh, became the Nuggets when Carl Shear came along in 1974. But to go back in that history and, and see how good the Nuggets were, uh, better than I remembered during the ABA years, and – then in the NBA, which I have more of a recollection of because I was here, but how good some of those teams were and how how close they got a couple of times and injuries struck them down. They didn't always have the best of luck. But this year, there seems to be a magical quality to their playoff run, which we saw in that season that I think you were just referring to when they won three straight to come back from 2-0 down in a best-of-five series against Seattle and then came from 3-0 down, which people forget, people who are well aware that no team has ever come back from 0-3 deficit, Mm -hmm. teams have forced a Game 7, and the Nuggets were one of those teams uh, that year against a vastly superior Utah Jazz team. But uh, the Nuggets came back from 3-0 down to tie the series at 3-3, and unfortunately for game seven, they were spent. There have been magical moments, but they've been fleeting. This seems to be one that's uh, lasted for more than just a couple of weeks. And th- there's the hint that there may be even more magic on the way. Right? Yeah, and you hope, yeah, you hope that with the layoff that this team doesn't lose their touch, that this team doesn't lose just that intensity they had, that chip that they had on their it's shoulder. It's the edge, but, right? It's, it's, right, it's, it's more than yeah. the touch. It's an edge, right? Yeah. It is the edge. It's, it's the point where Jamal Murray comes out in game one against the Sun and says, we're ready for this. It's that edge where you look at Nikola Jokic comes out against the Lakers and throws up some ridiculous numbers to the point where even if you are a casual viewer, you're looking at this guy and saying, this can't be real that he has, what, over what 12 rebounds in the first quarter, something ridiculous like that. You just hope that they don't lose it. But the reality for the Denver Nuggets is this. In their 47 years, when you talk about them in the NBA, 
it has always been followed up by either injury or mismanagement. That is like literally them, right? You go back to 2013. This team looks great. Danilo Gallinari, he tears his ACL. A couple right. of years ago, we obviously right. know what happened with Jamal Murray. Michael Porter yep. Jr. is back. There's always something that, that hurts this team, and it's just great to see that finally, again, knocking on wood, <laughs> but finally that all that is held at bay and they're in the finals. Justin, the idea that, that Michael Malone has improved as head coach consistently and certainly has really made a leap this year, but I, I think there's something that maybe, and maybe I'm, I'm part of this, that I, that I might have missed something with Malone, and that is the fact that what he has done over the years has, has built a culture around this team of which the players uh, trust one another, they like one another, they trust their coaching staff. Somebody steps out of line, say Bones Highland, and you're just gone. Your talent was irrelevant. You're gone. And, and Malone has helped build this culture for this team. And maybe the X's and O's are secondary when it comes to this kind of club. Because even though the Boston Celtics are very talented, uh, they're disjointed. They, they win games when everybody shoots well and not because they necessarily do a lot with each other. They don't pass the ball really all that much. Um, we're seeing the, the Nuggets do stuff that other teams don't do. And it feels as if it is a bit of a team culture difference which is what Malone has probably fostered and been better known for than his uh, coaching acumen, whether it's X's and O's on the whiteboard. Yeah, I'll take you to an article that I read last week, and it was in The Athletic, where I believe it was 2019. Um, there was a, a portion, I, I believe actually Coach Malone brought it up, where they could have actually traded Jamal Murray to the point where it's like, hey, we have this guy, we could go yeah. get this marquee oh, yeah. player. Right. And it's like, no, here's the main part, though. We have an ownership that is patient. Whenever you have an ownership that is patient, that will allow you to be able to build, you could be able to build that culture however you want. So you could have a guy like Bone Thailand, who is very, very talented, where he may not jive exactly with everybody else. Well, he could go because you, are, you have that culture that's in place that's been really backed by the ownership. Same thing with the Colorado Avalanche as well. I mean, let's be honest. A couple of years ago when they lost to the Vegas Golden Knights after going up 2-0, and well, we're looking at Jared Bednar being fired. You hold on to him for another year, you end up winning the Stanley Cup. You could say the same thing about Michael Malone. We'll take you back to 2018, where in that season, they lose pretty much in the playing game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. A lot of people forget about this, but the talk that time was, will he get fired? Will Michael Malone get fired? They decide not to do so. The ownership decides to keep him around, and, well, the rest is history. So we're seeing what happens when you are patient with the right people in place. And also we have a couple of stars too. The Avs have Nathan McKinnon, the Nuggets have Nikola Jokic. Yeah, um, but one of the things about the Nuggets that I I think sets them apart is that uh, five or six guys can all be stars depending on, uh, on the night. And that has a lot to do with the unselfishness of Jokic, but also the growth of Murray, I think. Uh, going back to that 18-19 season, uh, Murray would have very, very high highs, but also the floor was was pretty low for him. And it kind of played out that way in the Portland series where there was great Jamal for the first three or four games, and then there was a, a slip, and in game seven, he was terrible, and C.J. McCollum was great, and that was the difference in Portland coming from way behind to win that game. But I think we have seen in the last five years, frankly, the growth of Jamal Murray. Uh, 
alongside, of course, a, a rather remarkable comeback from a very serious leg injury. Yeah, and just to go back to that game, because that one's really implanted into my mind, get this, Jamal Murray, by the way, 2019, that game seven against Portland, 4 of 18, 0 for 4 from downtown. Correct. If you're looking for the reason why the Nuggets lost that game in particular was because your second-best player only had 17 points in that game. Right. Now you fast-forward to today, right? He has times like he did in Game 2 against the Lakers where he's not doing well early on. For three quarters, he was garbage. He was, he was not good. But then in the fourth quarter, he's able to score 23 points, able to get confident before you blink. The Nuggets are up 12. And I want to make sure that we make sure we mention this guy. The growth of Michael Porter Jr., my goodness, for a guy who has made, what, 250 games under his belt, the way that he has matured right now in front of our eyes is one of the most astonishing things, I think, that I've seen in my years of covering sports here. Because we looked at a guy who was AAU number one, all about me, all about me getting the ball, I'm going to shoot whenever I get the rock. We still see that a little bit ever so often if he doesn't get the ball on offense. But in the postseason, he has been all about defense, all about getting those rebounds on the weak side, and all about a guy who has used his length to be able to go get wide-open shots, and he is knocking down those triples. So it is great to see pretty much everybody in their prime starting to play their best. I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up because, I, well, I don't think Porter Jr. has elevated himself to like a star level of performance yet. It is, it is notable that he has been – quite consistent during these playoffs. And as you pointed out, the effort level on rebounding, the effort level on defense, at least using the, the length and size to make things difficult to the point where uh, LeBron James decides he has to dish because the Porter Jr. is in position and has the length to stop him from driving. Uh, it's made a big difference because the, the Nuggets have had that two-man performance from Jokic and Murray, maybe not at this level before because both of these guys are playing at levels. I think that Jamal Murray right now is playing better than he's ever been, including the, the bubble Jamal uh, sort of vibe that we all got a couple of years ago. So you have two guys at their best, but it is the impact of guys like Porter Jr. and Gordon and Bruce Brown coming off the bench. And Caldwell Pope, as Sandy pointed out, you have to have those contributions. You have to know that one other player might go for 20-plus at any given game for you to win at this level of the playoffs. And they have guys who have done that and will do it. And all four of the ones I mentioned can and have in the playoffs. So Porter Jr. is one of the few guys on this team besides Jokic that actually has any size whatsoever, has even more outsized importance than he probably ever has on a Nuggets team before. Yeah, he is. You know what's interesting about this team is that it makes them so tough to stop because we all talk about the Nuggets two-man game, right? Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and we all get it. But then you look up and it's like, wow, KCP hit another three. I mean, do, you, do we really understand how impressive it was what happened in Game 3 in the third quarter? And in midway in the third quarter, Nikola Jokic checks out because he has foul trouble. That game is screaming for the Lakers to take over and have a double-digit lead before Jokic gets back into the game. And the Nuggets not only hold serve, they go into the fourth quarter up two. Like, that's just something that we have never seen. And when I say this... Never have we seen that from the Nuggets, from a Nuggets team ever in their history. On the road, in a hostile environment, and I get it, you have the Stars, but you still have the Lakers out there. To be able to, in the third quarter, with your best player on the bench, a two-time MVP on the bench, to be able to say, we're okay. KCP, hit some shots. Bruce Brown, playing great defense, getting some layups. Uh, Jamal Murray, knocking down shots as well. To be able to have that happen on the road just shows not only how much this team has grown, 
but really how great this team is. Not how good, how great this team is. Now it's time to get four more wins and put yourself against three. That's part of the evolution too, though, isn't it? Because yeah. uh, even Michael Malone, I think, earlier in these playoffs is telling the uh, network guys, uh, you know, that there were times even this year when Jokic went out of the game, I put my hand over my eyes. I couldn't bear to look. <laughs> and now he can bear to look. Uh, uh, you know, obviously they've shortened the bench, uh, which is uh, proper. Uh, you know, the Boston Celtics mm-hmm. have shortened their bench. Uh, Miami, because of injury, has had to shorten its bench. Uh, considerably. Uh, those are the three teams uh, who are left. Uh, I, I think the Lakers even uh, did some of that. But I, I've also seen him change occasionally his substitution patterns, which I thought he was uh, pretty much committed to. And he's altered them in this series. But the point you make, uh, I agree with completely that the crisis moment, if using the term crisis loosely, obviously, in this series for the Nuggets, was game three when Jokic picked up his fourth foul in the last five minutes of the third quarter, and it, you knew they'd have to play a good chunk of the third quarter without Jokic and stay within 10 points. Not only did they stay within 10 points, I think they had the lead, although it was a bit of a seesaw game, early in the fourth quarter. When Jokic actually came back in, they were still ahead. They were ahead when he went out, and they were ahead when he came back. And in a conference final series, even, I don't know, three or four months ago, that would have been unimaginable that the Nuggets could have survived against a good team that way. Sandy, you saying three or four months ago. I said, like, two well, Malone days said then. it. Malone <laughs> said uh, during the playoffs. I, I don't know if it was in this series or not. Because they had shown signs against Phoenix that they could manage the non-Jokic minutes. But but that really, I mean, nobody even talks about it anymore. It's not an issue. Yeah, because you've seen how this team has grown. And and really, Bruce Brown has played so well. Oh, and yeah. I hope Christian Brown, by the way, he could be able to, you know, look, he's a rookie. He'll be able to grow. Um, the Nuggets went seven deep, right? He sat on the bench. Um, had yeah, an yeah. Issue. And that's but, fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's right. But you know what? This is another point, right? Christian Brown makes a mistake in the third quarter. It's a great example. He makes a mistake. He doesn't see any more time for the rest of the series, right? And, and I, I thought I thought that was exactly the right move, by the way. He was brought in at, during that third quarter to play Austin Reeves. And the first sequence, Austin Reeves is open. There's nobody within 10 feet of him until Christian Brown makes a late move. The Nuggets call timeout. And I was telling the people I was watching the game with, uh, he's not only going to get yelled at, he's going to get yanked. Mm-hmm. Yelled at and yanked, and he will not play again uh, for at least this game. As it turns out, you're right. Uh, he didn't play in game four either. But I guarantee you in the finals, he'll be ready to go. And that's the difference. That's the difference in this team, that even though you're relying on the rookie, and I believe he's the only rookie that's still playing right now, that you know that he's going to be all right because you have the strong leadership, the strong coaching. And, oh, by the way, KCP, a guy who has won a ring before, was the first guy to talk to him. And you know that he's going to be in his ear and make sure that he is ready to go and prepare for the NBA Finals. It's everything that you want as a coach. You have your stars. You have your role players who are doing very well, selfless guys. And by the way, you have your third scorer, who's a six foot ten kid who can hit the ball, who can hit a shot from anywhere on the court. This is a really, really good basketball team. Justin, last one. Uh, 
Which team do you want? Do you want the Heat? Do you want the Celtics? Uh, I want the Heat. Uh, main reason why I want the Heat is I want home court. I want the Miami Heat to come here in game one, having survived the series against yeah. Boston, and they will get throttled because the Nuggets do very well in game one in the playoffs so far. And it's tough. It is very – I don't care how in shape you are. It is extremely difficult to come into elevation at 5280 and go and try to win a game against the Denver Nuggets, who will be very rested. So, And, and even if they win tomorrow, Miami is going to come in here beat up. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. They're already missing out one guy in Vincent, Gabe Vincent. He has an ankle injury, so that's just another guy who they had um, at their disposal who they won't have. And Tyler Hero, he's starting to shoot a little bit now, but there's reports that he doesn't look like they'll have him, though. Right. It really doesn't. So you are hoping beyond hope (laughs) that the Miami Heat win this game. I'm not going to say that it's going to be easy for the Nuggets. I, I feel it could be kind of a Nuggets in, you know, six or something like that. But it will put Denver in a great a great chance to be able to go and win the NBA Finals. He is Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado. Make sure you give him a follow at Justin Adams TV. Uh, we will find out more, obviously, for the Nuggets uh, this week. We might find out uh, tomorrow. We will see. But I uh, appreciate all the insight on that, Justin. It's, uh, it's obviously going to be a very, very fun week next week when we know what's happening from now until Thursday is going to be uh, ratcheted up every single day. Looking forward to uh, making sure that we follow you and, and everything that you're doing over there at CBS. Thanks. Sean, Sandy, always a pleasure. 47 years in the making, guys. What a blessing. Absolutely. Thank you. Justin Adams joining us. I, I will add this, though, and, and we touched on it, but I, I want to say it declaratively. Uh, Terry Fry on his website wrote a column about this earlier. Uh, people say the Nuggets haven't made an NBA final series, and that's True, of course, as a matter of fact. But that much of our audience might be too young to remember this, but the Nuggets were in the ABA Finals in 1976. And I'm here to tell you, I was an NBA snob before I came to Denver. But there, even in 1976, there was no doubt in my 18, 19-year-old mind that the New York Nets and the Denver Nuggets were both better than the NBA finalists that year, the Boston Celtics. Uh, it was the weakest Celtic championship of all time. Havlicek was nearing the end of his career. Cowns was nearing the end of his career. Uh, JoJo White, Don Nelson, all the rest. They, they, they were closer, a lot closer to the end than they were at the beginning. And the reason they won the title that year is they played a team that had gone 42-40 and 40 in the finals. The, the the Nuggets the next year were better than the Phoenix Suns. They certainly were in 75-76. Either the Nets or the Nuggets would have beaten either Boston or Phoenix. So the idea that the Nuggets haven't been before one of the best teams in the world is not correct. Uh, the Nets won the series, so they were the best that year, but I think the Nuggets were number two. I want to know who you want as an opponent. Is it the Heat because you, you want the, the home court advantage that maybe it's even a lesser team? Do you want the Celtics? Do you want to just expunge all the demons at once, go through the Lakers, go through the Celtics, knock off NBA royalty one at a time? Let us know. The call and text line is 303-831-1340. But the Denver Broncos are going through OTAs. What positions they need to add? They have about $10 million to play with after the move to release Brandon McManus. Where should they spend it? We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports.
Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Broncos OTAs are underway. This time it's, uh, well, there's, there's football to it now. Uh, there is practice. There's 11 on 11. It is, of course, not physical. It is OTAs. Uh, it is very limited. But it really is the first look at uh, the Broncos uh, in a football capacity. Uh, you'll be able to catch the Broncos Blitz uh, later today with me and Cody Rourke. Of course, Cody uh, follows us with an Neil Pierre on Afternoon Drive, and we'll talk about his experiences there yesterday as well. The Broncos, after releasing Brandon McManus, who then almost immediately landed with Jacksonville, have about $10 million to spend. That's not an insignificant amount at this point in time uh, with space on their roster. So looking at the needs that we had identified prior to the draft, Sandy, where would you spend that money? And would you would you go look for uh, a name player? Would you look at a... Uh, a Justin Houston? Would you look at a, a Yannick Ngakwe? Would you look at an Akeem Hicks? Uh, would you look at those kind of players with a name? Or would you rather find uh, spend that money in a, in a lesser fashion and get reliable depth? Well, I have to spend some of that, hopefully not too much of that, on a kicker. Uh, right. Because at the present time, they don't have one. They, they had have one trying out yesterday, but they didn't sign any of them. So they were uh, using the machine. <laughs> For all the kicking uh, drills yesterday, it's May. Did not have a kicker on the field, Um, but I I would I would lean toward a running back, and I I know people are excited now that it appears that Javante Williams might have a chance to play uh, on opening day, but I still think they need depth at at that position. Uh, The other guys you mentioned uh, that that would presumably be close to one. Shot deal and yeah. be pass rushers, which I I still think the Broncos could use more of. I do too. I, I'm I'm I, sorry. I I'm not. I think they're short. I, it. I I I think they have some strength uh, defensively in certain areas, but I don't think they've demonstrated that they'll be able to rush the passer uh, significantly uh, more forcefully than they did in 2022. I don't think that's clear. Not clear to me. Uh, it's certainly not clear that Randy Gregory can stay healthy for more than maybe 10, 12 games in a season because he's never had more than 12 games in a single season, right. which he has been healthy. Right. So at this point in his career, it's not like you're talking about one or two years and it's early. He's been around long enough where I think it becomes the expectation that he will miss five or six games every year at the very least. Probably should consider that. And you're kind of waiting for that to happen every year. Mm-hmm. You know, he got to remember, this is hard to remember because so few things went well last year, especially early in the season. He actually, the first, what, four games, five games mm-hmm. before he got hurt, he's playing pretty well. As usual, when he's, he's on the field, well. yeah. he's a pretty effective, dynamic player. But, but after he got back, he was nothing but a pain in the rear. And he didn't play the same way as he had earlier in the season. So the injury, as it, it was such a high-risk signing, it, it, it always and, was. And I know you didn't like it. I didn't like good it. reason. You were right on that one. Um, my counterpoint was just that the, it, it was basically a one, well, two-year gamble. Right. And uh, he's another one. He'll have to prove himself to Sean Payton. 
uh, or he will be gone during the season or at season's end. Uh, he, he will have to play in more games. He'll have to play better. And if he doesn't, he'll be gone. That that part of the that's where I guess I'd be looking. A couple different places on the on the defense. And I know that a lot of people look at the Broncos defense last year and say, all right, it's pretty, it's pretty good. You're good. You're projecting a lot. I mean, the, there are there's not a lot of pass rushers. Randy Gregory just went over it. Uh Baron Browning looked like the move to the outside was going to work, but Baron Browning has not put up the numbers yet. I mean, right now it's potential, not production. Uh when you're looking at the at, at the interior. Uh, of the linebacker core, the Broncos felt like they wanted to upgrade that. They did that with Drew Sanders uh, in, in the middle linebacker spot. They added a, a, a. Isn't the consensus that the Drew Sanders selection the best pick was their best pick yeah. because he has the chance cover to play right away immediately because he can have he has the speed and to cover no one end. else really does. No, I mean although you know cornerback is not. I mean I'm not talking about special deep. teams. Right, I'm not talking about special teams. I, I, I'm sorry, but I think, and maybe I'll be proven wrong on this, and it's a clean slate for everybody, uh, but I think the Mathis kid will be just fine. I and do, too. I, I, think I like Peyton will Mathis. Like, will like Mathis. And, and so, Riley Moss drafted as a corner, but kind of looks like a safety, yeah, which is interesting yeah, because exactly. I think that's one of the positions that the Broncos actually need a little more at. Now, it, I, You know, I think the Nuggets. Uh, I like Nuggets, Kate Stern. Uh, the Broncos will start uh, Jackson and Simmons. Yeah. Unless Jackson gets hurt. And Jackson, I don't think he's played the same way the last two years as he did uh, uh, early on with Denver, but he's durable. He I think Cade Stearns, were he healthy, has an opportunity to unseat Jackson. I think that's possible, but that's obviously he has to get healthy first. And even that's a bit of projection. He was effective when he played as, as a rookie. I, I like his game a lot. Uh, they did add a, a late-round draft pick in jail, Skinner, but coming off of an injury of his own, it feels like the safety position needs a little more depth. It's either hurt or, in Cream Jackson's case, with all due respect, uh, his durability is remarkable, but old and 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 losing. There was a drop-off in Kareem Jackson's game last year. Uh, we, we noted it. I mean, it, it was clear. Uh, he, he had lost a couple steps. Uh, some, of the, some of the power has faded. And that's just what happens when you get older. Father time's undefeated. But... I look at that safety, I look at the the pass rush, and I'm just not convinced the Broncos have enough there, and uh, I think they need to add to it. Which is why the people say, well, boy, they, it's a shame they're so bad offensively because the defense is really great. Uh, I'm not saying people were wrong about the offense, but I think there was a tendency to overrate the defense. Uh, the defense was good. Uh, it wasn't anywhere close to being great. Yeah, I think that's um, I I think that's notable too, uh, because uh, remember, the 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 Broncos in a lot of their games, you didn't have to worry that much about scoring all that many points. The Broncos didn't score that many points, so you're playing against the Broncos. Yes, you, you why take chance? Yeah, you you weren't you weren't why throwing, fill throwing the air passes with down the field, right? right. And, and risking turnovers. You weren't doing it. You were running and grinding out the clock. So by nature, and you were ahead all the time. So you're protecting yeah. leads. Were not always scoring that much against the Broncos because they knew the Broncos were right. limited to exactly. If you right. got over 14 points in a game, you were probably good at some so point put it on the ground. Just to refresh my own memory, as much as uh, the memories of those listening. Go back and, and look at some of the scores last year. Wasn't the 49er game 11 to 10? Mm-hmm. Because Jimmy Garoppolo stepped out of the back of the end zone? Right. 
there had never been before and possibly never will again be an 11 to 10 game played in the NFL. It's hard to do. There was never before that night, it was a Sunday night, there had never before been an 11 to 10 game played in the history of the National Football League. Not one time. Now, I imagine in college, you might have gotten an 11 to 10 game somewhere in the long history of college football, going back to Amos Alonzo's stag. Yeah. I imagine we would have had a few 11 to 10 games because football, college football was more like rugby. And it began, of course, far earlier than professional football did, NFL football did. That was 1919, 1920, right? The NFL. I believe that's not so, right. uh, you know, it's Smidge a little over hundred years. College football history runs 150 plus now. Uh, but there never been an 11 to 10 game. And it, the, the indie game was weird too on that Monday night. Uh, you know, there, there were some odd scores last year and it gave, you're exactly right. It gave people the impression that the Broncos were a better defensive team than they in fact were. What exposed the Broncos defensively was Christmas Day at SoFi against the Rams. Yes. When 50-plus were put on them. That's when the defense got exposed. So, there's work to do. But Baker obviously, Mayfield was the quarterback uh, that day. Yes, and he was, Am I right? Yes, and he was tremendous. I mean, he looked great. Best game of his pro career to date. And and had to kind of bounce around looking for a gig again this offseason. I mean, it's, it, it kind of reminded me, except that the Broncos won this previous game, it kind of reminded me of uh, uh, the game that uh, the Washington quarterback played in here for the Chargers against the Broncos one time. The Broncos ended up winning the game but it was the best game of his career. Remember late nineties, the Washington quarterback who with Manning was going to be. Oh, Ryan leaf, Ryan leaf. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, That that was going to be uh, a typical performance. And it turned out Ryan leaf, much like Jamarcus Russell had one great game against the Broncos. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, yeah, Ryan Leaf, by the way, remember, over the course of his career, 4-17, and 17, uh, completed 48.4% passes for only 3,666 yards. I think one of those yards. losses did come against the Broncos, but he had his best game uh, against Denver. And he was still with the Chargers, I think, at the time. Yeah, obviously, it's, uh, it, it, that's, you, you've had those moments, uh, and obviously for the, for the Broncos, I'm with you. I believe that the, the defense was a little overrated. Not certain people. I, I Simmons and Sertan are as good as they come in the league, but I think they need more help. And, and even Simmons and Sertan can only play at their best if there's a pass rush. And uh, against the Rams, Simmons and Sertan were not good on, on Christmas Day. I mean, that was a, uh, I, I mean, listen, team-wide collapse. You had players fighting, openly fighting on the sidelines. I found your game you were talking about, too. Ryan Leaf, uh, I believe. The Broncos did win that game 38 to 37, but, but Ryan Lee wasn't Gus Farratt, the quarterback, uh, Ryan Lee for, for the, the chargers went for three touchdowns, one interception, uh, 311 yards, right. quarterback rating of 111.8. Yeah. 
which indeed was the very best. What, what year was that? Was that ninety nine or two thousand? That was two thousand. November. Yeah, well, with it, the Bronx made the playoffs that year, and they needed that win in order to make the playoffs. They, they, they did sneak by wild card and, team uh, that year, and, and that was so. That was a and big by the way, win. you're correct. Gus Farrat played quarterback. Gus Farrat was the Bronco quarterback, and. Uh, Gus went for Gus 462 Farad, yards and five touchdowns. One of the great, but also four picks. Uh, yardage, uh, passing yardage games in uh, endeavor, the history yes. of the franchise. Yes, and uh, you know Gus Farad had an unmatched capacity for keeping both teams in the game, <laughs> and yet that's, in that's 2000, a, because of Brian Greasy's midseason shoulder injury. Gus Farratt was the quarterback of record when the Broncos qualified for the playoffs. Then they had to go to Baltimore against the eventual world champions, and uh, there was no offense to speak of that day. Stuff, Not uh, much on the Baltimore side either, but that 2000 team was one of those teams that was terrible defensively, but they did force a fair number of turnovers, and the offense was able to take advantage of that. Uh, Greasy was terrific for half a season, but the team didn't win. When Farratt came in, they went on a run, and frankly, Farratt had a lot to do with that, and he was kind of the anti-Greasy. You know, his highs were higher and his lows were lower. Uh, Yeah, I mean, 462 yards and and five touchdowns. Yeah, that's that's a big one. The Broncos do have uh, work to do. Of course, it's early in the process. Check out the Broncos Blitz podcast uh, over the weekend with uh, myself, Cody Rourke. We get digging a lot deeper into a lot of stuff about how Sean Payton is going to run this team, what it means uh, with Brandon McManus's release and the separation, the end, uh, really, of the Denver Broncos championship era. McManus, last player remaining from the Super Bowl 50 win. Uh, keep in mind, be safe this weekend. But if you end up being injured or are injured, we have the people you need to call. That's our friends at BurnhamLaw.com. Phone number is 720-845-7001. If you're hurt, you need to hire the winner. Their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients all over town. For Collins, Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, Colorado Springs, even Cheyenne, and right here in the DTC where we are today. When you're injured, they'll make sure you get your maximum recovery either by settlement or by trial. So when you're hurt, don't hire someone off the billboard. Hire someone you know will win. That's Burnham Law. BurnhamLaw.com. 720 720- Eight four five seven zero zero one. The Denver Nuggets are in the NBA Finals. You can repeat it as many times as you'd like. Still feels weird. And they get to rest while the Heat and the Celtics beat each other up. How would they match up against either? We'll do a bit of a sneak peek about what makes them a fit against either one of those teams next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Hey, feeling good. Just in case you were curious about the little trivia bits that we were talking about, I did I did have to look it up during the break and find out what the, uh, the, the where the Broncos record was and where it stands. The Broncos record is 499 yeah, yards. Yeah, I should remember game. that. Jake Plummer against the Falcons in 2004 yeah. in, a, in a battle with Michael, Michael Vick. Michael Vick, which uh, Plummer and the Broncos lost, by right. the way. <clears throat> through no fault of plumbers who who played great that day, but that was the day 
that, and I still say this in 2023, Michael Vick played the greatest game I've ever seen played by a quarterback against the Broncos in Denver. And it was, uh, of course, at uh, uh, the current stadium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I've never seen a quarterback play like that. He brought everything that day. He could run. He could pass. He was unstoppable. Vic was four, 18 for 24 for 252 yards and two touchdowns. The passer rating, by the way, of 136.1. Not also bad. ran for another 115. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> I mean, obviously yes. got, uh, next is Peyton he Manning. He was unbelievable. Not doing with the Cardinals, uh, yeah. 479 And again, yards. the Broncos actually won. Yes. Kyle Orton, right behind him, 476 yards. Did they win that game, though? Uh, that was against uh, the Colts, obviously, back in 2010 when Orton threw for all those yards, and they did not. The Colts behind... Uh, well, there was some other guy playing for the Colts You, you, you know who uh, went for 325, three touchdowns, no yeah. picks. Yeah, uh, one Peyton Manning. Good. Orton went for 476, and the Broncos lost that game. How'd you like to throw for 476 yards and score 13 points? Well, there's the Josh McDaniels offense for you. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hard to do. It's hard to do because the Broncos scored in that Atlanta game with Plummer. They scored plenty of points. It was just that they were never in the game because they couldn't stop Vic and they couldn't. The active uh, leader in passing in the NFL is in, in that, uh, the, in the all time, is Joe Burrow. Joe yeah. Burrow went for 525 right. against the Ravens back in December of 2021. That's cool, actually cool. the fourth most all time. Uh, and it kind of feels like he, he could I'll, do I'll that tell you again. We can, we, can, <laughs> we can talk about all the great young quarterbacks in the NFL. Burrow and Mahomes are on a different level. And I in my I opinion. really do think Burrow is is up there right with Mahomes. I do, too. Pretty darn They're close. They're one, two. And I know. Mahomes, listen, then Burrow. Mahomes has the two Super Bowl rings, and Burrow doesn't have one yet, but Burrow's gone to a Super Bowl. Could have won it, by the way. Could have won. Could have won with, again, uh, to me, a clearly inferior team. And a pretty good quarterback in Stafford on the other side. And um, Cincinnati's one of those teams. I don't know if they'll win this year. But sometime in the next five years, the Cincinnati Bengals will win a Super Bowl. It feels like he may. The The Buffalo Bills are the team, I think, I is think the, receding. I, 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 thought I think they the were Bengals young. are coming on still. I think Buffalo is the team that's backing up. Yes, I agree. Uh, I completely agree. I think that Buffalo's window may be closing. I, th- I I didn't love them last year. I felt like that they're they're maybe it just feels like that 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 window may have opened. They also opened and closed. Really missed Brian Dable, who yes. of course was the coach of the year and the catalyst behind time. most of the the leap forward for Josh Allen. Uh, exactly, and as and we've Allen talked about, did not have a good year. Last Allen year. had unprecedented unprecedented turnaround in his career. At least in the last quarter century, yeah. with Dable with his uh, inconsistency in passing, and then becoming a, one of the league's better passers, and he regressed. So yeah, yeah. it does yeah, feel it as if yeah. maybe that's going to change. The Denver Nuggets will take on either the Miami Heat or the Boston Celtics. We will find out. Uh, these are sort of two different teams. Now, I think, <laughs> I think of. the Nuggets. <laughs> yeah, I think the Nuggets are vastly better than the Heat. I mean, I think they're much better than the Heat. I think Nuggets would, and five against the Heat. I agree. That's what I would pick is five. Boston has a lot of top end talent. Yeah. Though their talent, their talented players do and can play defense. And oh, yeah. it, and it yeah. seems as if they should give the Nuggets uh, quite a bit more trouble than Miami. But they play as you, as you called it, Sandy. 
a an AAU style game right. where everybody just sort of gets theirs. You want to talk about some a, a team that does, and I'm not gonna I, I won't call it that exact term, but you know we heard about stat padding with, with Nikola Jokic. Each of the, the you watch a game with the Celtics, Tatum and Brown and Brock, they just go out and get theirs. And yep. you hope that at the end of the game, oh, when you add everything on the score sheet, that they scored more than the other team. Right, right. And, uh, you know, I pointed out uh, last night that even though they only took 79 shots, the, the key number for them is 43-point attempts, um, shooting above 40%. If they have 43-point <laughs> attempts and shoot 40%, they're almost unbeatable. You throw in 10 turnovers or fewer, they're almost unbeatable. And they had only nine last night. Uh, they out-rebound on the offensive boards. Their opponent almost always win. What I think, though, against the Nuggets is that hitting all those marks four times will be virtually impossible yeah. for them. Better To be better than the, than the Nuggets, basically you know, be at their best. Remember, this is still a, a Celtics team. You know, after the win last night, is ten and eight in the playoffs, and five and five at home. Yeah, they haven't looked anything similar to a dominant team. Uh, they're getting enough wins, and the funny thing is, you know, you get you get the idea with the Nuggets are always second guessed. Um, I don't discount it at all. Miami's an eight seed. They're an eight seed, and the Boston Celtics with home court advantage went down three zero. Now maybe they'll even win this. But the idea that, you know, you, you get at times those kind of things, and I think that the Nuggets, fortunately, after going through the Suns and the Lakers, don't get it. But, you know, who'd they play? Who'd Boston play? And and, and they're, well, they're, I, they're a roughly 500 team. You know, I, I, they just don't impress me. The, the, unless you're totally shameless, you can't say who of the Nuggets played because apart from Minnesota, they were going into the series anyway. As the underdogs. underdogs against Phoenix. And in some quarters, underdogs yes. against the Lakers. So you can't, well, then when they beat those teams, you can't, oh, those teams weren't right. any good. That's not what you said before the series began. And you you, you look at at Boston. I just think there's, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's I, just I think, mystique. You know, listen, that, that was a 2-3 series. So uh, they, they, they got a 2-7 uh, series, uh-huh. uh, and, and the, they struggle more than they should against Atlanta. I'm sorry, the, they, they did. They, they took them six. The Philly games. series, good series. I'm not going to knock that. Of course, that was that was good. That's fine. But yeah, I, I'm just I, I look at Boston, and I think this is a good team. That even over the course of the regular season, and yes, we're Boston to play the uh, the, the Nuggets in the finals. Boston will have home court advantage. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I to me that's a six game series that the Nuggets finish on their home court. Just too. keep in mind in the East, and I'm really not trying to knock it all down. Uh, I'm really not. But when you, you look at the teams in the East this year, only seven teams, Sandy, were even over 500 in the whole conference. Yeah, it and, was and the, top and the, heavy. And the West I, is very different. I, I thought, listen, I, I thought the East was better than the West because I, I judge by it's top know, who the best Teams but are, the top talent can except, get fat over the except season. Except for Denver, I didn't think there was a top five team in the NBA in the West, apart from Denver. Apart from Denver. However, the Nuggets are ascending during the playoffs. Nobody else in either conference is ascending. 
Boston's won two games in a row after being down 3-0 against an inferior team. That's riddled with injuries. So I can't say looking at Boston's playoff record and the way every series has unfolded that they're on the ascent except for fleeting periods of time. The Nuggets are consistently getting better and better and better and better from series to series. They were better against Phoenix than they were against Minnesota because Phoenix is a better team, and the series lasted exactly one game longer. And then they swept the Lakers, who by beating Golden State, I think demonstrated they were probably a better team than Phoenix, too, even though they didn't face Phoenix. And that was a sweep. And undoubtedly, the Nuggets got better in in that series. I, I thought game one was an impressive win. Game two was more impressive. Game three was more impressive still. And game four, you kidding me? Down 15, yeah. first minute and a half of the third quarter, and they come back to win that. I I, I thought been, that was the most impressive of all. Great. So I keep getting more everything. impressed by uh, the Nuggets and only impressed by the Celtics during fleeting moments. Celtics and uh, Heat matchup tomorrow. That'll be the 630 tip, uh, tip on Saturday if Boston does win it. Game seven will be Monday night. Of course, uh, we will not we be will back not be here to talk, to, about to talk about that because it is the Memorial Day weekend. Spend a little time, if you will, to consider why uh, we have Memorial Day weekend. Obviously, I think so many of us have had uh, family members or friends that have served and that have been lost. So please take a moment to consider all of that. But enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Have a tremendous amount of fun. And remember, your Denver Nuggets will be in the NBA Finals next week week and uh, i'll be with bruce on tuesday morning as well as with you tuesday afternoon sandy's two to four double double duty man there's double shifting nhl season not quite over sandy's still taking, taking two shifts good men take time off by the way uh, you didn't have to cover for him i mean you know what a, what a what a what a champ that's why sandy's the best thanks to danny bailey in the booth Making us sound good. Andrew Demers over there making us look good. Thanks to all of you listening and interacting, whether it's over the air or on the app. For the great, uh, incredibly hardworking Sandy Clough, I am the less hardworking and somewhat pedestrian Sean Drotar. We'll catch you back on Tuesday right here on Mile High Sports. It's all right.